You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Good morning. The scriptures are um, from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, so Philippians. We've got several different um, scriptures from several different um, chapters, beginning with Philippians 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Philippians 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Philippians 3, verse 13. I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And finally, Philippians 4, verse 8. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. This is a wonderful day. We have the, the decanters back, and Josie, the blessed new member of their family and of our Enclave family. We thank you for getting through them through all the process that they went through in Africa and getting them back home to us safely. I thank you for... Um, all the members of this church and how everybody um, is so willing to help and to pitch in when we've got um, things like we're doing Day of Hope. And it's uh, just using our hands to be able to bless our neighbors in the community, Lord. And I thank you for the opportunities that we have here to do that. And um, just thank you for brad and the message he's going to be giving us today and um, i thank you in jesus name amen so thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak it's my first time here at enclave to speak but i've been here for nine years but i'm gonna be talking about philippians i love philippians we read it all the time and paul wrote a great letter there but we're going to be highlighting about three good scriptures and maybe a, a couple more after that but before i do that i wanted to give you a snapshot you know since i'm it's my first time up here. <clears throat> I was talking to Lori. You know, we're always the young people in the church, and you always see the older people with the platinum hair, the white hair, and you kind of, they come and they go, and you know what they're all about. And now Lori and I are the platinum and the, and the gray hair. And we come and we sit, but we don't do a whole lot. We, we participate. We do, we do uh, day, the uh, hope, and we do uh, passing out the um, bags. So we were involved that way, but I'm pretty happy sitting with Lori in, in, the, in the pews there. So I just want to give you a really quick snapshot of who I am, if you're wondering, so, and how I got to Turlock. I came from San Clemente, and uh, I moved there when I was 19 years old. It's a little town, almost the size of Turlock. 
Uh, and I went there and I, uh, I really loved it. My girlfriend moved down there from school and I proceeded to follow her before I eventually married her. But it was the Western White House site where President Nixon was there in my time. And my uncle Buddy used to cut his hair at San Clemente Barbershop. And it was a really small little town like Main Street down here in Turlock. I, I, I freaked out paying my first rent for $70 a month. Didn't know how I was going to do it, but pulled it off. And uh, when I was 20 years old, I, I became uh, married to my uh, junior high sweetheart. Uh, that same year, I found Jesus for the first time at Calvary Chapel down in, in Costa Mesa, and it changed my life. Uh, our children came two years later. Uh, our daughter came Joy, and then our son two years later was Chet. So I have two children, neither one are married. Chet's in or Joy's in Arizona, and uh, Chet's in Southern California. Uh, to provide for my family, I did a few things. I owned a small marketing company, and then I had a fundraising company that raised dollars for junior golfers. And then I also worked at a, a, a camp called Forest Home, which is a Christian camp, kind of like your Hume Lake or Mount Hermon. And I worked in couples ministry there, and I've been involved in couples ministry uh, most of my life. I love coffee with Lori. Uh, we do that a lot. I like to golf. I don't play much anymore. I've, I've been playing with Carlton and Steve and some other folks here. I love rock climbing, just still like to rock climb. I like loud music. I like anything on the water, any kind of water sports, and uh, any activity with my grandkids. I volunteer at Adult and Teen Challenge and Jessica's house in town here. How did I get to Turlock, another part of it? Uh, after, in the third year after losing my wife to ovarian cancer, uh, a friend introduced me to Lori Fiorini. Uh, we were 350 miles away. We were introduced on the phone and I couldn't hang up the phone. Wasn't dating at the time. It had been a while since my wife had passed away. And a year later, Lori and I were married here in her oldest daughter's backyard, and it was wonderful. Uh, I was a little leery coming here, but uh, having a new stepson like Jay, who you all know, uh, loved me from the start. And I felt accepted from the start, and definitely feel accepted today, nine years later. Uh, I decided to make Sherlock my new home. Lauren, I didn't know where we were going to live when we got married, but uh, you know, we knew we, God wanted us to get together, so let's just figure it out. And we were kind of kids in that respect, saying, who cares? Let's just get married. And we, our first uh, uh, house was a rented bedroom on top of a garage. And uh, it was fine. It was good. But we ultimately stayed in Turlock. L Lori never said, hey, can we stay in Turlock? Because I have three kids here and all these grandkids. So it was never pressure for me. But as I got to know the children, especially the, her children and the grandchildren, I have no grandchildren of my own. Neither one of my children are married. I never dreamed that would happen. So I went to Lori and said, I don't know about you, but I'm coming to Turlock. And so I closed up shopping where I'd been for, since I was 19 years old. And I would really never had a regret. Turlock's become a home and I love it. Jay and Christy invited us to Enclave Church. That's why we're here. How do you say no to your kids when they want you to do something? Because they stop asking you at a time. But they asked us to come here, and we said, yeah, we'll come here for sure. And now we've been here for nine years. So I want to talk about the power of a handwritten letter. And if, if that's even important, you know, we're in an era of uh, uh, texting and email, and our messages are fast now. We really don't spend much time writing letters. Think about when's the last time maybe you received a written letter. It could have been a, a Hallmark or a really cool uh, or pre-printed uh, birthday card. But when did you get something? It was just a plain card with a note from somebody. 
or when's the last time you did that? It doesn't happen very often. It's very inconvenient, and we don't think about it. But I want to encourage you today the importance of it. And so we're going to look at the, the, the gospel or the letter, Paul's letter to the, to the church at Philippi. You know, handwritten letters, even last year, CVS and Walmart planned to cut store space devoted to last-minute office birthday cards, citing underperforming sales. And then also over the past decade, the number of greeting cards sold in the United States has dropped from $6 billion to $5 billion by Hallmark. So it's a declining thing that we're doing. So we're going to look at an example to see, if, is letter writing even important? Paul wrote a letter to Philippi, why I like it. A lot of letters are letters that can be uh, for correction, uh, but some letters are just because you want to say thank you or you want to celebrate. That's the type of Paul letter Paul wrote to his church at Philippi. He started a church there in this little town, and it took him 10 years to go back there and finally write. He didn't actually write there. He wrote this letter 10 years later, but he wrote this letter from jail. And some people think he's been in jail for until like five years. I mean, the guy was in jail a lot, kind of for social disobedience. He wasn't a criminal, but he sort of preached the gospel. So he finds himself in jail, writes this amazing letter to the Philippians. The thing is, his letter is still influencing me today. So the question is, is there power in their letter? He wrote that 1,900 years ago. I'm being influenced daily by that letter that I received. So that's why I want to talk about it. So we're going to highlight just on, on three uh, important, and to me, scriptures in Philippians, and then we'll talk about two others in closing. But the first one is Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And I kind of shorten that to make it easy for me to understand it. Treat others, and if you have the handout in your bulletin, it's better than yourself. And we've been trained to not think that way. At least when I grew up, it was a lot of self-care. A lot of you can do it better. You can win. And Jesus comes along and says, well, what I want you to do, I want you to spend more time loving somebody else and not take so much time about yourself. This thing called selfish ambition is, is the little culprit here. Selfish ambition seems to be the root of almost all the problems that we have. It goes to what we want. It can be in our marriage, uh, at work. It just, it's just selfish. It's all about this idea of listening more than talking and, and giving more than taking. And I have an example when selfish ambition uh, goes bad. And have a little, you're gonna, you up there on a, a picture? Oh, we got it right there. You're like, so Jax is helping me up here, and he's awesome. So thank you, baby. Yeah, that's my, uh, one of my grandsons, Jay's uh, son. So we at Forest Home, we have about 60,000, 80,000 people come through, so it's a pretty good-sized camp. And uh, all of a sudden, when I was there, I was on the executive team, our management was splitting apart, and we had two different factions, and it grew like a cancer, and it metastasized to a point of people leaving, people being uh, fired, and... The, the, the people that came the, to our camp started noticing this, churches that would come, and they stopped coming a little bit. Our sales started going down, and it was because we were, we were really self-centered. So I went to a friend of mine, and said, we have a little problem at camp. We are so involved with our own issues at this camp, we can't serve our customers that are coming 
to hear Jesus, to learn about Jesus. So we had to figure it out. So we came up with a little campaign. I, I don't memorize scripture very easy. I like simple things. Uh, Lori knows a lot of the Bible by heart, like whole chapters. I don't even get how you do that. But I can remember like a little line. And I can remember an icon. But I can also remember something that makes me remember it. So up here you got this idea of bless someone's socks off. So I, I kind of get that, what that means. That means you don't help, you know, bless somebody else instead of myself today. Let's look at the little mug there, Jax. I think there's another one. We also created mugs like that. I actually have one. This is my uh, bless your socks off mug. And then uh, the, next, the next one, you see a little sock. So we created a sock. A real easy to understand icon, but all based on treat others better than yourself, P23. So I had a contest for all the staff in camp. They, could, they had one month to do it, but they could find me in camp anytime, seven days a week. But if they came and recited the scripture, they got their muck. And it's cool. It's got the little sock here, you know, P23. It's kind of cool. I like it. It's kind of cool. But uh, they all did it. And we saw a change occur in the camp because we were reading Paul's letter from almost 1900 years ago that said, treat others better than yourself. Second scripture, P313. I used to have a license plate in my car, and it was 313 for the California license plate, and that was my, I thought, my real life uh, verse. But it says, forget the past and look forward for the future. I'll read the whole thing, though. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And simply put, forget the past, look forward to the future. So I, 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 I see this as like, you know, your rearview mirror in your car. You know, you, you kind of glance at it once in a while and make sure you're okay. But when you stare in that rearview mirror, it gets really sketchy and kind of dangerous. So what's in your rearview mirror? Think about that for a moment. Is there something you're staring at that's in the past? Is it missing the winning shot when you're in college or high school or even on the high school team? Is it a demotion or losing a job? Is, is it a poor choice, any choice? I used to smoke. I did it for two years. Lori knows it. She wouldn't have married me. We talked about this. I said, if you knew me in high school and my first year of college, you wouldn't have been my friend. I mean, I would have been her friend. And she said, yeah, Brad, you're right. You wouldn't have been my friend. <laughs> so poor choices, you change those. Or how about losing a loved one? Some of you in here have recently lost a loved one. Or it's been some time ago, and the pain's still really, really fresh. I'd like to tell you my story. So some of you know what it's like that moment you hear that your loved one is going to be dying. I was fortunate enough to be with my wife when we were at Mission Hospital to the doctor's office when the doctor for the first time told us both, your wife's, or her name is Yolanda, Yolanda, you're going you're, you're to live about 12 months. After that diagnosis, I remember going out to the parking lot and sitting in the, in the, in the uh, parking lot. And we both sat, and we didn't say a word. I remember the stare looking out the parking lot. It seemed like it went forever until my wife said, well, we got to get in the game. 
And she was always that way. She's just this fighter, but she got back in the race and she fought for 22 months. And eventually I lost her. I started running at that time. I started with one mile, two miles, and it was six miles a day. Lost weight like crazy. I wanted to show a slide, but I thought that was a little vain. But I, I, was, I was, Jay, I was chiseled. I, I looked good. And I was tan, and I, I, I really was proud of myself. But uh, I ran a lot, and I had a routine. I didn't think it up, I just did it. At 5.45 every morning, and I was, at that time, not really working. Uh, at 5.45, I'd wake up put on my running outfit. I live one mile from the beach, downhill, and I put on my ear pods and put on Hillsong. First, uh, Fernando Ortega, one song he played. Same song at 5.45 every morning. I would walk briskly to the beach, which was one mile downhill, and I made a covenant to myself or a promise. I'm not going to ask God for help. I'm not going to cry, because I cried every day for an year and a half, and I'm just going to thank him. So on my way to the beach, I would say, thank you for the, the bacon I can smell at the cafe. Thank you, I can smell. Thank you, I can see the ocean. It's an amazing morning, and the sun just coming up. Thank you, I can walk. And it was all thankfulness until I got to the beach. Then I put on Hillsong. The song was called He Rain. And I ran up the beach on the beach trail right on the coast, for one mile, and this is the part that's a little weird. There's a coffee shop up there, and they have really good French roast. So I ran really hard for my French roast. It was my incentive. We all need a carrot. And I met a little new community of people there, but I had my, my coffee, 15 minutes, and I ran back, walked up Del Mar, my little street, and went to the gym for 15 minutes only, but, but a hard workout. And then I, I went home. What I didn't realize is I was getting into a deep uh, uh, grieving. And I didn't know it, but my friends told me three years later, uh, they were very concerned about it, and you were, we were actually, you were depressed. But I want to tell you my darkest day. Uh, there's, is there a picture, uh, Jax, of that? The next one? Oh, go back. I, go back two. Yeah. So this is, a, this is a San Clemente Pier, and the first one you were looking at there, that's a picture of the pier. That's where I grew up. And uh, that's where I hung out almost every single day after my run in the morning. I'd run down the pier, then I would go home. But I'd also run in the evening. I would go to hot yoga at 7 o'clock. <laughs> Loved hot yoga. And my daughter got me into that thing. And then I would uh, go down to the beach, and I would go to this little restaurant on the pier called Fisherman's, and I'd have a little wedge salad sometimes, sometimes not. But I'd sit there and watch the sun go down. This particular day, which is a, in my second year, I walked out to the end of the pier, and this is a little sign here on the end of the pier, this is no jumping. I didn't know that sign was there until a little later. But it was the night I was looking out at Dana Point and saw this, the lights. It was amazing. It was a warm evening. I was the only one out there, though. It was a quiet time out there. And I had an experience that I didn't want to live anymore. I've been, like, been around counseling on the other end all my life. I never really could relate to that idea. I don't want to live anymore. I can now. It was only for a moment, and it felt really natural. Like, I've had a great life. I've had 40 years of an amazing marriage. I've got two great kids. I mean, what more do I want? But I went home, and I came home. I was getting ready for bed. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I looked in the mirror. And some of you guys, you know, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more conservative, but I had a very radical experience 
where I felt God was in the room with me. And he said, you can almost hear it. I looked in the mirror, and it was like he was talking out of the mirror, but he said, Brad, and he used my name, and he said, if you don't choose to move forward, it's not going to go well for you. I got on my computer, and I emailed my sister, who's my older sister, who's full of faith, and I said, I, I thought I was doing good, Sue, but I just had the worst day of my life. And this is what happened. At four in the morning, I got a return email from her. She spent a long time, but she sent me this beautiful letter. And that letter encouraged me. And that was the moment I said, I need to get back in the race. I need to forget my past and press on to what's ahead. I decided to go to Saddleback Church. My brother was there, and he'd been begging me for almost two years to come to church with him. And he said, I have a seat for you in the front row. Buddy Owen's the worship leader. I have a seat in the very front row, and I'll save it for you. It almost took me two years to accept the offer. I showed up on a Wednesday. Buddy Owen's there preaching. Uh, candles are lit. We have 3,000 people in this auditorium. I'm in the front row with my brother. As soon as they band struck um, Forever Rain by Hillsong, I stood up. It, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know. It was just no one was there but me. In that kind of strange. You know, many people stand up and you're in a church, you know, what are they doing? Give them some slack because you don't know what they're going through and what they need. They can't see us. They're seeing their Savior, they're seeing their God. But that's what happened. I stand up, my hands are raised, and that was the moment that I decided to move forward. And from that moment, my life changed dramatically. There's another picture of a couple here. The next slide there. I call this my angel picture. So picture me back down, down to Fishman's restaurant, watching the sunset. It's on a Saturday. The sun hasn't gone down yet, but I think I'm going to go home or maybe go up to Cafe Mimosa up the street. And it's a little French restaurant. I know the owners. And I, I uh, wait tables for them for free because I need something to do. And I decided to go up there. So I, I'm leaving the Fisherman restaurant on the pier, and I'm walking. There's probably 400 people milling around on a Saturday. And I, um, I see this couple go through the crowd. It's a huge crowd of people. Here's this couple. I just see them go right through the crowd. And I just watch them go by. So I, I don't know what happened, but I'm just staring at him. I says, you know, they, they both are older. They're probably in their 50s. She has gray hair. They're holding hands. He's talking to her. Oh, now she's talking to him. They're listening to each other. They had a relationship, and it just stuck out to me. So they went on, and I just thought it was great. I went up in my car, got in my car, prayed, probably cried too, and decided to leave. So I'm driving out of the parking lot, and there's a little sidewalk there before you get out in the street. You have to wait for pedestrians. So I wait. The pedestrians are coming, and I say, go ahead. And I look, and it's that couple. This is pretty far from when I saw them. So they go across my car. They go to the other side, and I'm staring at them and going, God, what are you doing? What are you telling me? They turn around, and they go like this. Roll your window down. You're going to love this story, Andrew. This is story. <laughs> These are stories that Andrew likes because it's so real. I roll my window down, and they said, what kind of car is that? And I go, well, it's my Passat. It's a little Passat Volkswagen. I love it, too. It's a little station. They didn't, make, they didn't make very money, but it's fast and it's cool. 
And so anybody said, we really like your car. I said, that's great. And bye. And they took off and they walked up the street. I went into the street, drove up, and I drove up about a quarter of a mile, almost a half a mile up Del Mar, and now I'm going to go find a parking. There's no parking anywhere in San Clemente on a Saturday. So I'm going all over the streets. I end up two blocks over. I'm coming down the street. Now I'm about a half a mile away from where we were. I'm coming really slowly. I'm thinking I'm finding a parking spot. And there they are. They're walking down the street. It's the same couple. So I figure God is saying something. So I I've never done this. I pull my car over. They walk up to me, and I go, hi. <laughs> and they, got, they recognize me from the Passat story. See, here they got the Passat. Yeah, I know. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to Cafe Mimosa. Where are you guys going? Well, we're going to get pizza up the street. So, oh, great, great. And then I got the courage. I said, can I ask you something? I go, yeah. I says, I just watched you. It's still really tender to share, but because it's so real. I just watched you walk across, and I saw your love for each other. And I saw you were a little older and didn't care about, I mean, you didn't care about gray hair. You're mature. Can I ask you what's your secret? And the gentleman, Tim, said uh, that God's the center of our life. Jesus Christ is the center of our marriage. (laughs) So I said, well, since that's true, would you pray for me? And uh, I said, and I really wasn't emotional at that time. It was more like, would you pray for me? And I said, here's my story, because I felt set free at that time. Now I've gone to Saddleback. I feel healthy. I said, I lost my wife some time ago. I'm lonely, and I don't know how to do this again. I haven't dated since I was 19 years old. How do you do this whole thing, and how does it work? So they said, sure. We prayed right in the middle of the street hugged, strange encounter, but so good. And they left and we stayed in touch. I'm just wondering if it's their prayers is the reason I met Lori. I'll never know when maybe one day I will, but I'm glad I met them. Because of my decision that day to not stay in the past, but to press forward, to reach ahead, I have a new wife three new children and their spouses, and I have 10 grandkids, and I get to be in Turlock and be at Enclave with Andrew coming back from South Africa. My life is overflowing. And in fact, I told Lori if something ever happened, I, would, I have no interest in ever returning. This has become home. But that's because I made that decision. I asked you earlier about what are you worried about, and there's a a prayer style that I really like called the Centering Down Prayer. Quakers did it years ago. There's lots of different versions, but I, I want to try it with you. So the, the idea, and some of you know it, but you take your hands like this if you want to do it. It's, it's not, I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing, but you take your hands like this. And what you do is you just, in your mind, you come quietly in front of your Savior, but you, you put in your hands what that is, that fear you have or that thing that you want to get rid of that's in the past. You don't know what it is. And you put it in there. And then what you do is you actually symbolically let it go. Bring your hands up again. And then say, Father, replace that fear. Like if it was fear, like I'm scared to death of something, you get rid of the fear. Replace that with, uh, what would be the opposite of fear, Lori? What? Trust. Exactly. (laughs) Be trust. So it's just kind of a centering on prayer. But let's just try it. We're going to take one minute. You can do it on your own. Um, 
just take your hands like this and close your eyes and then think about that thing that you want to get, remove from your life that's in that, in that uh, rearview mirror. Maybe it's that, that job you lost or whatever it is, or some, a conflict you have with somebody. We don't know what it is, but you do. But Father, we now place that in these hands and we're holding it because it represents we're still hanging on. It's still in, the, in our rearview mirror. It's still in our present. But now we take our hands and we dump it out. We bring our hands back again and we cup it. And now we say, Father, would you fill that thing that was in there with something from you? And in, in Philippians 4.8, it says, think about whatever is true. So what you want in those hands is give me something that's true, something that's honorable, something right, something pure, lovely, and admirable. Amen. In conclusion, um, oh, no, we're not in conclusion. <laughs> Saving the best for last. Uh, Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which, is, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So P46, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. So what are you worried about? Worry steals our joy. And the difference between happiness and joy is joy comes from our Heavenly Father. It's a gift, but it only comes from Him. Happiness, we can have that all the time. A good example of yesterday, I went to UOP to see my alma mater, uh, Pepperdine, play water polo. They played uh, University of Pacific. By the way, they're usually ranked between one and five in the, in the country up there. But I ordered a shirt from Amazon for my, my alma mater. It said, you know, Pepperdine Waves, and it didn't come in in time. I wanted to really show my colors, and God was in it because nobody was for Pepperdine up there. In fact, my stepson invited me to go with two of my stepchildren uh, to go up there. And they're all in the car. Everyone was for UOP. I was the only one that was for Pepperdine. So happiness... Uh, was for me, if the waves win, that creates happiness. But joy was sitting in the stands with my grandson next to me and talking, and my stepson next to me and talking. Joy was getting in the car and hearing the conversations and being loved and accepted by another person. So the joy part is a very important thing to have. And the worry takes the joy away. So it's really important not to worry. And I'm a big worrier, so I, I'm on, ba on, on board with you. But let me tell you my final story. I volunteer at Adult and Teen Challenge. I have for eight years now. They're a ranch out here on Faith Home Road, and they have a, a, a one-year program to get us off addictions. And a lot of you are, are part of that, that program. So I volunteer. They get no federal funding or state funding because they're faith-based. Um, so when we went through COVID, I worked with a guy by the name of Louis Roach there. He went through the program 10 years ago. He was addicted to meth. Great family in Oakdale. Golfers, everything right. But Louis had diabetes, and diabetes wore him out. So I, I actually, we became friends. I said one, one year, Louis, 
why did you turn to meth? He said, it was the only time I found peace. It was the only time my body didn't hurt. So he went to this program, got clean, got saved, and he, now he was working there. He's worked there for nine years. There's another story about Lee I'll share in a moment. But Louie and I became friends. When the COVID thing hit, they lost all their fundraising. Golf tournaments, banquets, all the things went down. And Louis said, I'm worrying. So this little letter that Paul wrote where it says, don't worry about anything, was very hard for us to do. So I prayed about it. Louis prayed about it. But I said, meet me down at the park. Not uh, What's the park down? Donnelly Park. I said, meet me down at Donnelly Park. We'll find a park bench. So Louis and I met there. We sit in the park. I said, what's going on, Brad? I said, I got an idea. And let's just sit. And why don't you pray that God will help us? So he did. So I said, you know, when I'm in Southern California, I go to these golf tournaments, and, you know, they have these big golf tournaments. They raise a lot of money. But then in the end of the tournament, uh, at the end of the tournament, they have a secondary fundraiser where you can buy golf balls for a dollar or 50 cents, whatever. And then they get all these golf balls up. They gather them up, and they put them up in a helicopter. And a lot of the guys and gals at the tournaments that aren't faith-based are a little tippy at that time and spending a lot of money. So it's a way you can raise another $10,000 for the charity. And it's fun to be close to a helicopter. I mean, it's exciting. So I so said, I've seen this done. You want to try it here? And instead of going to a golf tournament, why don't we use the ranch? We've got 30 acres out here. Let's just dump it at the ranch. So I got with Jay. I said, you know, we need a, we need a helicopter. And he found me a couple of planes. And, but we thought planes were a little, maybe could be problematic. They said they could dump the balls, but they wouldn't guarantee where they landed. <laughs> <laughs> They'd done some type of a thing where they frozen turkey drop and they I think they had hit a shed instead of this car or something so there was some history that was a problem but I got with Louis I said let's just try this thing so I said okay so he went back to his executive committee and he proposed this we're going to do a ball drop we're going to get a helicopter we're going to sell golf balls and the committee went no uh, we don't want another event uh, we don't know if it's going to work so we don't think we're going to do it so Louis, who is strong, looked at his boss, the, the executive director, and says, so my, my role is fundraising and community service, right? He says, yeah, so, so I can make all the decisions. He said, yeah. So he said, the executive, we're doing it, to their chagrin. So anyway, we needed to find a helicopter. Out of the blue, Sheriff Dirksy had come to my door when he was trying to get a vote years ago, and that's the only time I met him. So another person said, you should email Sheriff Dirksy. So I did. And I wrote a little email. Hey, Sheriff Dirksy, we want a helicopter. We're going to drop some golf balls. It's for adult and teen challenge. In two hours, I get a reply email from Sheriff Dirksy. Hey, Brad, love to. I sort of do remember meeting you at your doorstep, but because I use that as a little bit of a, you need to give me some, I, I, vote, I voted for you. You know, so come on, give, give me a, throw me a bone on this thing. Anyway, he gave me this really great letter. So let me check with staff. Two days later, we got the affirmative. So I called Louie. I said, you know, the chopper's coming. We better figure out what we're going to do on this thing. We went, to, we went to Trinity down at Starbucks and Canal. She said, I'm on board. I'm going to bring my whole staff, free coffee, free, free uh, hot chocolate, all that's going to be. I mean, they brought a whole team of five people down there. It was just an amazing thing. We, de we developed this ball drop thing. I forgot where, oh, I want to start with this. That's the bench. That's the very bench down at the park that we sat at. And I remember today, we pr prayed and we wept 
But that's the bench. So the next one, uh, Jax, it's like a little helicopter. This is a ball drop. Now, if you want to come next Saturday down to Faith Home Ranch, we're having our third annual. And it's really fun for the kids. We're going to have free tacos, a little, little promotion. Free tacos. We've got free coffee. It'll be at noon. Uh, there'll be a good message there. Uh, but it's really fun, but you could win some money too. But that's what a ball drop is. And you can see this is our first year where the balls are dropped. We, we paint a, a target on the ground. The sheriff loves this program. Anyway, what happens is we do this thing. It turns into the largest fundraiser in the history of Adult and Faith Home. We're up to 210,000. This will be our third one. They've never even dreamed of something like that. And it started with, on a bench with Louie praying. And that's not knowing what to do, but stopping worrying and moving forward and praying about everything. Happiness was raising the money. It was successful. Joy was experiencing God's power and being along for the ride to see what he was going to do. I actually got this scripture uh, back, backwards. Oh, the next picture. Uh, I forgot that. Here's Louie. And there's our little uh, chopper thing. We had fuel a chopper. Two weeks before the event, where his finger is, is how much we'd raised. And the staff was saying, told you, Louie, it's not going to happen. The last 14 days, they ran out of felt tips. They were going so high. We went all the way to the top of 50,000. Uh, 50, 50,000 no, 50, was the goal. No, 60 was the goal. And we had to make a 70. And it was just really a thrilling thing. But that's us sitting there going, can you see what God, believe what God did? The next slide is the last one. That's a picture of the, the guys at Adult and Teen Challenge. I've fallen in love with these guys. Uh, they've, had some hard, they've made some hard decisions. they made some poor decisions. Many have been incarcerated multiple times. I used to be afraid of them. I no longer am. I've seen what God had the transition happens to these men, and they're just a blast. They can't wait for Saturday. This is actually, I got this backwards. This is where you would take and think about what's true and honorable and pure and right and lovely uh, when you would do your centering on prayer, but that's okay. It worked where we did it too. So I would like to conclude. Um, I'd like you to do a little exercise. If you don't, if in your bulletin you have a little note card, and I want to ask you if you'd like to just sit down. We're going to take about four to five minutes. And I'd like you to write a note. Paul's letter influences my life daily. I want to encourage you and also to remind you that we all have a similar power in our writing. Think about those letters you've received. I keep mine because I don't get very many. So you have a chance to really influence a life. So find your note card. If you need a pen, Jack's got the pens right there. Raise your hand. He's going to give you a come down the aisle. Their hands are going up for pens. And then we'll have Jay come up here and he's going to lead us in a new song. And uh, while we, while we write this out. Yeah. <clears throat> couple ideas on this. There's lots of reasons for writing letters. One's for correction. I prefer you don't do that today, but it's appreciation, celebration, congratulations, <clears throat> information, compa <clears throat> excuse me, compassion. Paul's letter was showing affection. So if you can think of some kind of affection or even, it could even be one word, but to share with somebody, it could be a, a coworker, a friend, a teacher, we were going to surprise Pastor Andrew and say, how about Pastor Andrew? Because it's, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, I think, or week. 
He just stepped out, so now it's still a surprise. So you can, there he is. So it's not a surprise. You could write to Pastor Andrew. Anything you want to write, but we're going to take five minutes now. They're going to sing, and we'll come back. <clears throat> take it home and you can finish it up and I hope you uh, put a stamp on it and mail it tomorrow in closing I want to write you, read you a note I received recently and why notes are so important sorry to interrupt some of you are really involved in your note right now but I want to share this with you and then I'm going to have uh, Jay teach us this song we'll sing it as a group and then Jay will close us in prayer for, for the morning but I, I played golf with my uh, um Lori's sister's husband's friend down in Southern California. Never met him before. I was actually warned about him by, from my uh, relative's wife. Said, um, I don't know where he's at on faith, but he's a good guy. You know, and, and I'm fine with that. So we had a great round of golf, but uh, he used lots of expletives. But I was drawn to him and found out his wife has onset uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, mm. and now he has to care for her. And his life is really hard right now. He went from easy to very hard. And we connected and became friends. His name is Gary. And I wrote him a note when I got back. I said, Gary, I just want to shake him. My, my uh, at that time, father-in-law had dementia. I lost my stepmother to dementia. I know all about this, and I just want to encourage you, and I love playing golf with you. That's all I said, and I said, maybe, actually, we had a bet going, and I won, so he, 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 uh, we bet that we'd get another round of golf, and so I won, so he owes me this round of golf, so I reminded him, you owe me a round of golf, and I sent the note. In two weeks, I received this back from him, and I've, I've saved this. This letter... Uh, rocked my world. This is what he said. I won't read all of it to you. But he said, Brad, thanks for the note you sent. I think you were the first handwritten note to me ever by a man. Hmm. And this is my second note ever and first to another man. Your comments on your friend, dad, with Alzheimer's was helpful in my thoughts and understanding with dealing with it. Appreciate listening to my venting. Love ya. And then he puts a, it says funny, because that's probably awkward for him to say, Gary. But he did say love ya, Gary. This was very hard for him to write, but his very first letter, he's 65. And I just wanted to share that with you to show you, you never know what that little thank you letter or that word of encouragement, that note that you're going to send somebody, what it means for the person receiving it.